History shows that until the problematic laws change, they will always be a potential threat to religious freedom. Hello, and welcome to the USERV Spotlight Podcast, a podcast series by the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each episode, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. I'm Hillary Miller, a researcher at the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Our guest today is my colleague, Madeline Velturo, a senior policy analyst focused on Africa here at the Commission. Madeline is also USERP's resident expert on religious freedom issues in Algeria, the subject of today's episode. Madeline, welcome to USERP Spotlight. Thanks for having me. Madeline, can you give some background on Algeria's demographic and political context? What is the religious makeup in Algeria today? And briefly, what parts of Algerian history are relevant to understanding the current state of religious freedom in the country? Wonderful. Yeah, thanks, Hillary. It's definitely important to come at holistic policy analysis and recommendations from a place of contextual understanding. Uh, yeah, so, so Algeria is Africa's largest country by geography. Um, it's situated in North Africa, it borders the Mediterranean Sea. And throughout its history, uh, Algeria has actually oscillated between being governed by local entities and by colonizing authorities. So this includes regimes all the way back to uh, from Rome, but also Spanish colonization, Ottoman colonization, and most recently French authorities um, uh, at various points throughout its history have these different um, colonizing authorities have have been in charge. Islam arrived in Algeria in the seventh century and rapidly spread across the country and the broader region. So today we estimate that 99% of Algerians identify as Sunni Muslim and the remaining 1% consist of individuals identifying as Christian, Jewish, Ahmadi Muslim, Shia Muslim, and Ibadi Muslim. And during French colonial rule, actually French law discriminated pretty heavily against Muslims, including prohibiting them from holding public meetings and from leaving their homes or villages without permission. Um, and you also saw kind of colonial authorities confiscating the land belonging to Islamic charitable trusts that had been used for agriculture. So this triggered a fairly deadly famine. Um, and also sowing harsh suspicion of Islamic schools, which really collapsed the country's literacy rates. So when Algeria won its independence from French colonial authorities, uh, which they did through a, a brutal civil war that lasted from 1954 to 1962, the post-independence government viewed strong religiosity as a threat to state control and governance, and they placed significant restrictions on the spread of religious ideas. Uh, to date, the Algerian government continues to regulate Islam rigorously. 
only authorized imams trained by the state may lead prayers in mosques. Uh, the Ministry of Religious Affairs regulates uh, the importation of all Qurans and other religious texts, uh, and Muslim women are prohibited actually from marrying non-Muslim men. And, and it was in this time following independence where religious minorities faced a particularly strong slew of abuses and repressive policies. So uh, the Nationality Code, which passed in 1963, that deprived non-Muslims of Algerian citizenship. And, and after that, we see the majority of the country's estimated uh, 140,000 Jewish residents uh, fled those repressive policies to France, Israel, elsewhere. Um, and in 1969, Baha'i activities were banned. So this is some of the context um, and the history of um, the, the state's relationship with religion and religious practice in Algeria. Thank you so much for, for that historical context. Madeline, it's really important for understanding the kind of the issues that USURP is addressing with the country today. And in recent years, USURP has reported that religious freedom conditions in Algeria have continued to deteriorate with the government increasingly enforcing blasphemy laws and restricting worship. Um, can you speak to the particular laws that pose risks to Algerians' right to freedom of religion or belief? Definitely, yeah. There are basically three aspects of Algerian law to highlight in that regard. The first is the Algerian Penal Code. Um, so this applies to all Algerians. Um, and Article 144 of this code criminalizes blasphemy. It criminalizes insults against the prophet and the precepts of Islam with three to five years of prison time and fines. Um, and as you mentioned, we are seeing increased enforcement of this anti-blasphemy law in recent years against actually both Christians and Muslims. This includes Christians like Abdel Ghani Mameri, Hamid Sudad, and Sulwan Buhaf, uh, as well as Muslims like Yasin Mambarki, Walid Kachida, and uh, Saeed Jebelkir. Um, so for those who are familiar with the Yusuf podcast, you'll be familiar that we consider blasphemy laws incompatible with the international legal covenants that protect religious freedom, especially the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights that um, allows a freedom of worship for every individual, including the expression of that worship through ideas that may be insulting, considered insulting to others. So that's kind of the first aspect of Algerian law. The second is something called Ordinance 0603. So this was passed in 2006. Um, and it governs specifically non-Muslim worship. And Article 11 of Ordinance 0603 criminalizes proselytization by non-Muslims. So it states that anyone who incites, constrains, or utilizes a means of seduction intending to convert a Muslim to another religion is subject to three to five years in prison and fines. And anyone who makes, stores, or distributes documents or other materials um, which aim to shake the faith of a Muslim uh, is subject to the same penalties. And then finally, there are legal restrictions for both Muslim and non-Muslim communities that require that they register with the appropriate government body in order to hold communal and public worship ceremonies. So while there is nothing inherently against the protections under the ICCPR about requiring religious organizations to register to establish public places of worship, both the ICCPR and the uh, African Charter on Human and People's Rights 
uh, prohibit religious discrimination in applying these laws. And in the case of Algeria, we've seen the government discriminate against both evangelical Protestants and Ahmadi Muslims in their enforcement of registration laws. Thank you. Thank you for, for detailing that. And, you know, these laws have impacted religious minorities across many faiths and beliefs. In particular, we've reported on the EPA, Algeria's Protestant Christian community. So Madeline, can you explain how has Algeria's Protestant Christian community been impacted and what challenges are the community facing now? Yeah, exactly right. Um, as, as mentioned, the EPA has become a particular scapegoat of government enforcement of laws that restrict freedom of religion and worship in Algeria. Uh, the EPA has had particular trouble registering as a non-Muslim organization under Ordinance 0603. They've met bureaucratic roadblocks and delays that other religious institutions have not met. Um, so we've heard tales of authorities failing to respond to EPA registration applications in the requisite time and then forcibly closing and sealing EPA churches at will. Um, we've also heard of government inspectors identifying small health or safety code violations and using them as an excuse to blanketly close um, churches. So for example, one member of civil society told us that the government informed a church that it needed to install a streetlight on the public sidewalk outside its premises to adhere to safety codes. And so that church submitted the request, um, including a payment with the relevant public works authority, but the streetlight was never installed. And when they made inquiries, they found that the government had actually posted a contract for the work, but it was at such a low rate that no contractors were interested in taking on the project well below, mar well below market rate. So these are the types of kind of hidden harassment and discrimination that the EPA churches are facing by the Algerian government. Um, in the weeks after the US government placed Algeria on its special watch list in, for the first time in 2021 for engaging in these severe religious freedom violations, the Algerian government uh, arrested the EPA's top pastor, as well as several other parishioners, on charges of practicing unauthorized worship um, and has sentenced them to prison time. And other Christians, too, especially Christian converts, have, have also been victims of blasphemy and anti-proselytization laws. In 2020, authorities sentenced a pastor and bookshop owner, Rashid Mohammed Sahir, and his assistant, Muhammimi, to uh, prison time for uh, printing and storing and distributing materials that can shake the faith of a Muslim after they raided their bookstore. And in 2021, authorities prosecuted Fudil Bahul, uh, a Christian convert who had collected donations with the help of, parish, uh, uh, of his parish after having lost his job due to his conversion, which is also prohibited for non-Muslims specifically under Ordinance 0603. So these are the kind of violations that Christians are facing in Algeria. Right. And in addition to Algeria's Christian community, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has also been affected. Can you elaborate on how and why? Yes, definitely. Yeah, just like evangelicals, Ahmadis uh, too have struggled to worship together without facing prosecution. And this is because the Algerian government refuses to register the Ahmadiyya community as a Muslim group because it does not consider Ahmadis to be Muslim. So in, it instead insists that the Ahmadiyya community register as a non-Muslim religious group but Ahmadis consider themselves to be Muslim, and so it goes against their convictions 
to register as a non-Muslim group. So because of this impasse with the government, Ahmadis remain unregistered in Algeria and, and they're vulnerable to prosecution when they attempt to worship. And advocates actually estimate that over 100 Ahmadis in Algeria are facing prosecution and the vast majority of which for unauthorized gathering and that they're facing prison time. Um, you know, in October, just one instance, in October 2020, uh, court in Constantine handed down two-year prison sentences to Ahmadiyya Muslims found guilty of assembling without authorization. Um, and just this last June, authorities charged 18 Ahmadis with uh, participation in an unauthorized group and actually with denigrating Islam with blasphemy under uh, Article 144 of the Penal Code um, and continues to detain three of them. So this is where we see this kind of multi-faith um, victimhood uh, of these re restrictive practices, restrictive policies by the Algerian government. Uh, thank you for, for detailing. And obviously, Yusuf, we're, we're concerned with events on the ground. We're also concerned with following what's happening with, with concrete policy action, meaningful action. So last year, following Yusuf's recommendation, the State Department placed Algeria on the special watch, watch list for engaging in severe violations of religious freedom. Madeline, what policies can the U.S. government pursue to help reduce the repression of Algerians' freedom of religion or belief? Yeah, this is probably the most important but most difficult question to answer, and that's because the U.S. actually has very little leverage in its relationship with Algeria because Algeria has a pretty diverse portfolio of powerful geopolitical relationships I can draw upon, including with France, with Russia, and with other Muslim countries in the Gulf and the Middle East. Um, so the U.S. is competing with other countries for influence in Algeria, many of which have problematic religious freedom records themselves. Um, one thing the, to consider is that the U.S. government could revisit Algeria's participation in key U.S. foreign policy programs like the U.S. Middle East Partnership Initiative and cultural exchange programs through the State Department's ECA um, and makes its continued participation contingent on religious freedom progress. And that progress should most definitely include stronger transparency and decisions regarding the registration of minority religious groups. But while the U.S. can use its leverage to try and free individual religious prisoners of conscience or open individual churches that have been closed, history shows that until the problematic laws change, they will always be a potential threat to religious freedom. And I think the U.S. would do well to design its policies in Algeria around building broader support across Algerian government and civil society actors for the repeal of blasphemy and anti-proselytization laws. I think identifying and tackling the root of public buy-in for these laws will be key to ensure sustainable long-term religious freedom gains for Algerians. And in this vein, I actually think the US could benefit from partnering with the Algerian government in a project to memorialize victims of religious persecution from throughout Algeria's history. Um, because a lot of these violations go back to before the current regime and even before independence. So a project like this could highlight 
for many months, uh, mainstream Muslims in Algeria could highlight uh, abuses against Muslims by French colonial authorities, um, could document the denial of citizenship and effectively the expulsion of Jewish and Baha'i communities in the post-independence decades. Um, you know, it could create a space, obviously it would be in partnership with the Algerian government, could create a space for it to share positive steps in a positive light. But generally, it could be used to build buy-in um, throughout Algerian civil society for stronger protections for religious freedom rights in the country. Well, hopefully we'll see some of these um, policy measures put into place in May 23. Uh, thank you, Madeline Velturo, for joining us today and speaking about religious freedom issues in Algeria. You can read more Yusuf reporting on Algeria on our website, at www.usurf.gov. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Usurf Spotlight.